Well, we'll be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 23, just the last couple of verses in this chapter this morning, verses 24 and 25. Just before we go on to that, for those who perhaps still do not realize that we're living in end times, you know, the Bible prophesies that there'll be a, a one world religion, and we can see that happening, but there'll also be a one world ruler. And here, Reuters had this interesting uh, little piece on their website. Global leaders will institutionalize the G20 as the world's main economic governing council, Gordon Brown said on Thursday. In New York, for a meeting of the United Nations General Assembly before flying to Pittsburgh for the third group of 20 leaders summit, Brown told reporters that the body would meet regularly under a new framework from now on. He said, what we are trying to do is to create a new system of international economic cooperation around the world. It's never really happened before. We've had the G8. We've had all these organizations. We've got this one this one chance to make a huge success of international economic cooperation. And then there was another uh, bit in a surprising late night twist on the eve of the G20 summit in Pittsburgh. Fox News has learned President Obama will announce Friday morning a significant expansion of the consortium of countries that tackles global economic and climate change issues. Obama will tell reporters that the G20, comprised of 19 industrial and emerging market countries plus the European Union, will supplant the smaller group of eight nations, the G8, as the go-to group for solving the world's economic ills. This decision brings to the table the countries needed to build a stronger, more balanced global economy, reform the financial system and lift the lives of the poorest, the White House said in a statement. The G8 will retain its national security focus but be replaced by the broader G20 on the issues of climate change, financial regulatory and global imbalances. So there we have it, the starting perhaps of the one world global government. We're living in very strange and interesting times. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and we'll read just these two verses. Verses 24 and 25. When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes thy, thy fill at thine own pleasure. But thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. 
when thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbour, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbour's standing corn. We're going to read a few verses later, just in, in, in Luke chapter 6. Get it out there and we'll read them. It's a lovely scene. And let's read Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. And it came to pass, on the second Sabbath after the first, that he went through the cornfields, as the Lord Jesus, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. You know, so often as a child, I'm sure some of you did the same. You'll identify with this, what the disciples did. So often I've walked through a cornfield near or at harvest time and just did exactly what the disciples did. Just putting out and getting the ears of corn, rubbing them in your hands, letting the husks fall off, giving them a bit of a blow and eating the ears of corn. How timeless this simple action seems to be, stretching back through history to many years before Christ. Little did I know, as I did that as a child, that somebody had been doing it for thousands of years. Incredible. And here they were, the disciples in the field of corn, as they walked uh, through it, around the side of it, I hope, and they plucked the ears and rubbed them in their hands and ate the corn. But you know, certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not so much as read what David did? when himself was unhungered, and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God, and did take the, and eat the showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Pharisees were always watching to see if they could find out something they could criticize Jesus about. It's interesting actually that verse, that first verse. It came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn. The second Sabbath after the first Deuteroprotos, the second Sabbath after the first. You'll find some, some versions of the uh, Bible leave this reference out. I, I believe for some very obvious reason that it affects the meaning and tradition of Good Friday. It's a very interesting term. It really just makes clear that in the feast, 
there were two Sabbaths. It's very clear from, if you read Leviticus. The Feast of Israel had a Sabbath of the Feast and also a weekly Sabbath. So you had two Sabbaths within the week. And this isn't our subject for today, but just we'll just skip over it really. Uh, it's important to know if you want to seek out what day our Lord was crucified on. John 19:31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, and that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was an high day. They besought Pilate that the legs should be broken and they might take them away. The Sabbath referred to was the Sabbath of the feast. It wasn't the weekly Sabbath. It was the day of preparation of Passover when the bodies were on the cross and the Passover was approaching. The high Sabbath approached. Jesus was taken down from the cross and put into Joseph's tomb. After the high Sabbath was over, the women apparently went out and bought their spices, Mark 16, verse 1, and prepared them, Luke 23:56, and then rested on the weekly Sabbath, which had come up. They did not go to the tomb before the weekly Sabbath, because they would have been unclean and wouldn't have been able to perform their duties of the weekly Sabbath. After the weekly Sabbath, they went to the tomb early in the morning, and we know the story from then on in. Look at that sometime when you have time, and work out how many days lapsed between the crucifixion and the resurrection. But that's not our subject for today, but just it comes up in that little passage. As the disciples plucked the ears, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them, the Pharisees were always ready to criticise and find fault. These Pharisees had made the Sabbath a drudgery and a weight on the shoulders of the common man. They kept introducing more difficult things all the time. And so that instead of being something which was helpful, the Sabbath became a drudgery. Jesus in Matthew 23 berates them, these Pharisees, for their complete hypocrisy. We saw a few weeks ago where they had these prayer shawls and they had tassels on the bottom and they made the, the tassels bigger than was necessary in order to try and prove how pious and holy they were. But Jesus didn't pull any punches in Matthew 23 from 24 onwards. Blind guides, he called them, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. It, was, it wasn't the right that Jews ate creepy crawlies, but so they strained the wine to make sure all these little flies were not in the wine, he's saying. But they omitted to fulfill the weightier necessary obligations of the law. They did these things in order for people to see them, but they themselves did not keep the law. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, 
but within they are full of extortion and excess. That was heavy word, heavy words that Jesus accused these people of. Blind Pharisee, he says, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. It's the old story. It's what's inside that counts. If the inside is dirty, then the outside is filthy. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Oh, out on the hillsides in, in, in Israel, they had these uh, sepulchres all painted up, looking bright. But inside, they were just filthy dead men's bones and maggots. And that's what he equated these Pharisees who were criticizing his disciples that day as they walked through the fields. These were the men that were doing the criticism. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. Oh yes, they were all for keeping an appearance But inside, Jesus said, they were unclean. These were the ones who were criticizing the disciples for eating corn on the Sabbath day. It wasn't the eating of it, it was the work involved in rubbing their hands together to get the ears of corn. When thou comest into thy neighbour's vineyard, then thou mayest eat the grapes thy fill at thine own pleasure, but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbour, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbour's standing corn. Legally, they were permitted to eat that food. And Jesus pointed out what David did when his men were hungry. When they needed food, went into the temple and ate the showbread. The loaves which were put out and which were eventually for the benefit of the priests. But the humanitarian need at that time. And also... The, 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 the problem with the, the priests and Pharisees during Jesus' time was that they were not in union with their God. They, Israel was straight away, had strayed away from, from the God of Israel. You see, these people had forgotten that the Sabbath was for the benefit of man 
and was all about man's life in relationship with his God. They did not realize, sadly, that they were in the very presence of the Lord of the Sabbath. The one who had come to fulfill the law and show the world that our relationship with our God was no longer a matter of works, a matter of keeping the law, but was now going to be a matter of grace, a matter of living by faith in the Son of God, the Lord of the Sabbath. How careful we must be, I must be, to remove the large plank, as Jesus said, out of my eye before telling my brother to remove the speck of dust in his eye. That's what they were doing. They were hypocrites. Complaining about them rubbing a few ears of corn in their hands because they were hungry. But the passage says they were unhungered. And they had the right legally to do that. And the Lord of the Sabbath was with them. May we see the world through the eyes of Jesus. And not through the eyes of a hypocrite. You know, as we look at these verses, there's another angle as we look at them. From our point of view, living in this world as Christians. As we live our lives from day to day, God has placed us in a relationship with other Christians. As we meet in fellowship with them, as we perhaps read what they've written in their literature, and in general avail ourselves and learn from their knowledge and experience of the scriptures. And we come and we remember with pleasure the books we read and the knowledge we gain from other people's learning. But it says here, Thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. When and you collect grapes, you can eat as many as you like, but you shall not put any in your vessel. And again it says, Thou shalt not put a sickle onto thy neighbor's standing corn. You could eat the corn, but you weren't to cut it down and take it home. You were to eat the grapes, but you weren't to cut them down and take them home. God wants each of us to be not only hearers of his word, but also doers and learners. He wants us to be workmen, working in our own vineyards. We must each learn and labour in the scriptures for ourselves and seek for the Holy Spirit to teach and guide us 
so that we in turn may be a blessing to others, sharing what God has taught us. Paul writing to Timothy said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, today we live in an instant society. We've said this before. We have instant meals, instant coffee, and in a sense, instant knowledge from television and the internet. But that is never a substitute for knowledge gained individually from personal work and study of the Word of God. It's so easy to gain all our knowledge and to put that knowledge out as if we had done the study. If you understand what I mean. We may, we should come before the Lord and study his word and learn from him and ask the Holy Spirit to, to teach us personally these nuggets of truth and then in turn we would be a blessing to others there's an interesting verse in Galatians Galatians 6 and verses 3 and 4 for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing he deceiveth himself but let every man prove his own work you have to test your own work and then he shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. That's the principle I'm trying to get over. If we work and study at the Bible and God reveals some truth to us, it is such a wonderful experience when God shows us something from his word. Oh, it's nice to go to somebody else. And to hear what they say. Nice to read the books. And listen to what uh, these great men of old have written. But it's so more, much more exciting. When God reveals to us. Something from his word. We are so often dependent. On what other people say. We, be, we gain our knowledge from other peoples. And with them we, we put that knowledge out as if it was our own. But it's so much more exciting when we study to show thyself the proved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. May we each learn and come to learn daily from the Holy Spirit. You know, Francis Ridley Havergill wrote a lovely hymn. And I'm going to repeat the whole six or seven verses. And she must have been thinking of something like this when she wrote the hymn. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. As thou hast sought so let me seek thine erring children lost and blown. Oh, lead me 
Lord, that I may lead the wandering and the wavering feet. O feed me, Lord, that I may feed thy hungering ones with manna sweet. O strengthen me, that while I stand firm on the rock and strong in thee, I may stretch out a loving hand to wrestlers with the troubled sea. O teach me, Lord, that I may teach the precious things thou dost impart, and wing my words that they may reach the hidden depths of many a heart. O give thine own sweet rest to me, that I may speak with soothing power a word in season, as from thee, to weary ones in needful hour. O fill me with thy fullness, Lord, until my very heart o'erflow in kindling thought and glowing word, thy love to tell thy praise to show. O oh, use me, Lord, use even me, just as thou wilt, and when, and where, until thy blessed face I see, thy rest, thy joy, thy glory share. That's the principle I want to get across this morning. Oh, use me, Lord. Use even me, just as thou wilt, and when and where. Until thy blessed face I see. Thy rest, thy joy, thy glory share.